listening to Tassie Encounters on Faith FM. And here we are coming to you live from Hobart, Tasmania. I'm your host, Jason Cook. And today and every Thursday, we've got Peter Watts in the studio. Welcome, Peter. Thank you, Jason. It's great to be here. Good to have you here, and you'll be continuing your series today, Searching for Certainty. We'll come back and talk about what it is you're going to be talking about shortly. But uh, before we do, what have you been up to, Peter? You've been uh, travelling around a little bit, doing a few things? Well, yeah, I travel around Hobart a lot and visit different people, and um, I had some friends down in uh, Port Arthur and went, went down there uh, this week and um, actually played a game of golf right there by the coast, which is, uh, I'd never played that golf course. Now, I don't play golf that regularly. I don't play golf as regularly as I would like to. Right. I probably would like to play golf every week, but uh, sometimes I don't get round to that. But you, um, you know, Peter, I would like to like to play golf. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> because, so, yeah. Because I'm not sure that I actually uh, enjoy it that much, but I've, I've only ever had one go at it, and I was really bad at it. So. <laughs> Well, some of us keep practicing, even though we may not be that great. Um, but but there's a hole there um, called the chasm. I think it's the eighth hole okay. where you are pitching off the tee, and there's this great golf between you and the green, and you have to hit over this golf. It's psychological, and to get to the green it, and um, so water or sand or well, yeah, water, water, water right. yeah. And it's right on the coast there, and right. it's actually. It's much like, I don't know if some people have ever seen those um, golf course calendars where they've got these, um, you know, uh, photoshopped images of sort of these crazy greens that are upon little pinnacles. It's actually very much like that. And Mm. I couldn't believe, Mm. I couldn't believe this was a real golf course, on a a real hole on a real golf course. But I managed to get it across. And so I was delighted. My wife even took a picture. So that that course is down near Port Arthur, isn't it? Correct, yes. uh, Right down there. Um, just south of, if people know the uh, Port Arthur tourist attraction, mm. it is uh, a little further south than that. Um, but yeah, I have not been, played that golf course before, but I may play it again. Um, but I, I think I played the last time I played was about three months ago. So it's not like I'm a regular golfer anymore. I used to be a lot more regular in my golf, and I would like to be, but alas, there's work to do. There is work to do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, I'll remind our listeners, our show number, our Tassie Encounters number is 488 We've got a couple of things to uh, give you today, so write that down, 488 Now, uh, last week, Peter, we did a trip into space. We'll, we'll just come back to that in a moment, but if you want to go and catch up with our previous episodes the faith fm app or the faith fm website uh you can get the app out of the app stores on your phone or tablet and the website uh, www.faithfm.com.au so last week i think it was a trip into space Yes, it was. We were talking last week about what the Bible says about the millennium. And uh, most of that material is found in chapter 20 of the book of Revelation. And we're talking about the fact that, you know, when Jesus returns at the end of the world, he takes his saints, his uh, believers home to heaven for a thousand years uh, for a thousand year vacation, which I'm very much looking forward to. Mm. And then uh, we return to earth and he recreates the earth made new and... um, this will be our home for eternity. But uh, that's that's a fascinating topic, and people can, like you say, tune in and catch up with that if they didn't get to hear that last week. So what have you got for us today? Okay, so this week is, I would say, it's kind of a shocking presentation this week. Um, not uh, intended to be, 
But the subject is who is the Antichrist? And who is the anti- when we ask that question, who is the Antichrist, there are all sorts of ideas, I guess, about who the Antichrist is. I remember, you know, years ago, people used to say, oh, Mikhail Gorbachev was the Antichrist or uh, Prince Charles, I've heard, was, was the Antichrist <laughs> at one point. Um, so there's these different ideas. And what we want to have a look at is what does the biblical material tell us what evidence we have um, to find out who is the Antichrist. There are lots of different ideas about this, and uh, I think that you know people may may hear something new today, and they may even be shocked by what they hear today. But we want to uh, survey the evidence and see what the Bible says. Okay, well, I think we should get into it. All right. Well, clearly, um, in this series, we've been talking about a lot of things, and we did obviously do an episode called The Jesus Myth. And um, that that's important to understand who Christ is and what he did, um, especially if we're going to approach the subject of the Antichrist. You know, some people are more interested in the Antichrist than they are in the Christ. Mm. And that's not a healthy perspective. No. There's a reason why God reveals the Antichrist in Scripture, and that is so that we won't be deceived, that we won't be taken off track, that we can actually draw close to God and the Christ that came into the world, which is Jesus. So it's important to understand the true and I sort of illustrate it this way I used to have a, a friend who worked in a bank and they would tell me that um, back in the days when they dealt with banknotes which they still do but probably less frequently now than they used to mm. because most things are electronic but they would say they'd study the genuine banknote so so well that when a counterfeit arose, they would identify it immediately because they could see the difference. because they could see the difference. Mm. And I think that's important because we could all we could say, and some people do this. They get into conspiracy theories, and they look at all the counterfeits, and they spend all day looking at all the counterfeits mm. and not looking at the genuine. Mm. Whereas I think what we want to do is say, let's look at the genuine. Let's know the genuine so well that mm. when a counterfeit arises, we can identify it. So we will be looking at the antichrist. Christ today, but let's not forget the importance of the Christ above the Antichrist. And really, that's where we've come from, isn't it? We've been doing a lot of study, and yeah. uh, we have uh, covered who Christ was all about, you know, what he was all about. As yeah, well. I don't know what episode we're up to in the series, about 17 20, or something 22 like 22, right? Yeah. Okay, well, there you go. So we've done 21 episodes before we got to this point. Yeah. And so uh, we would encourage people, if they're tuning in today for the first time, to go back and listen to them, uh, that other material. Mm. And uh, But let's get into this. Uh, for every truth of God, the devil has a counterfeit. Mm. We've already talked about the fact that the Lord created the world and he gave us the Sabbath as a memorial of that, and we've discovered there's a counterfeit to the Sabbath. Yeah. We've discovered that there's a counterfeit to love. It's called lust. And it's very popular, but love, lust is not the same thing as love. Yeah. Um, and the, for every you know, for every truth of God, there's a counterfeit. And so we want to have a look at this. Well, the term antichrist doesn't appear that often in the Bible, people might be surprised to find. But where it does appear, we want to have a look at that. So in 1 John 2.18, I'm going to get you to read that, uh, Jason, yeah. from the New King James Version of the Bible. It says, little children... It is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Okay, so John is talking, he's writing to the church at large. He's one of Jesus' disciples, and uh, he says, You have heard that Antichrist is coming. Even now, many antichrists have come. Mm. So I want us to understand there's two concepts he's dealing with here. Number one, that there is an antichrist that is coming, 
but that there are already many antichrists have gone out into the world. And so I like to put it this way, that if anybody is opposed to Christ or trying to be in the place of Christ, then they are an antichrist. Mm. You know, I used to remember in the 70s in the UK, there was a band called the Sex Pistols. It was a punk band, and they had a... Uh, a song called Anarchy in the UK, and it opens up with the line, I am an antichrist, I am an anarchist. You know, they mm. were anarchists. anarchists yeah. And, uh, and you know, they really were antichrist. They were completely open about the fact that they were anti-Christian, mm. okay? And so they are our antichrist. Now, anybody who's opposed to Christ is an antichrist. But John here is talking about two different concepts. There are many antichrists in the world, but there is also an antichrist that is coming, according to John here. And so that's the one we're specifically going to focus on. So there's another verse in 1 John 4, 3, and I will give you an opportunity to read that one, Jason. It says, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. All right. So here he talks about the spirit of Antichrist. Mm. And he says that spirit is already in the world. So many people might be thinking, well, the Antichrist, maybe that's coming at the end of time and we've got to look out for it. Maybe we, you know, you've got to be aware so that we don't get deceived. Um, but he's saying the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world at his time. And this is John writing, and this is John the Revelator. Correct, right? so yeah. He was one this of is the... late first century AD. Hmm. And so he's saying that that um, spirit is already in the world. Now, um, what does the Antichrist mean? First hmm. of all, we want to look at that. We've mentioned before it can mean against Christ. Somebody who's against Christ is Antichrist. That, that, that's the uh, the common the the obvious interpretation Correct. that we would see because yes. anti means yeah. opposed to. Yep. But what we don't maybe see uh, that in the Greek the understanding can be in the place of Christ, mm. and that's going to be worth remembering as we look into this subject a little deeper. We also need to identify the fact that the idea of the Antichrist is mentioned many times in Scripture, but it has different names. Mm. So, for instance, the Antichrist is described as the beast, and we'll talk about that a little later. Babylon, uh, we'll talk about the abomination of desolation, um, the little horn in Daniel chapter 7, which we're going to take a look at. So it has a number of different um, identifiers. And we'll just read this verse here from Matthew twenty-four fifteen. Jason, you can read that. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. All right, so this is Jesus here talking. He's talking about um, the future, and he's saying, when you see the abomination of, Daniel, uh, of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, and he says, whoever reads, let him understand. So Jesus wants us to understand who this is. We're going to find out by reading Daniel. So we're going to go back to Daniel chapter 7 to have a look at this. Okay, well, we're going to do that after our first break and our song. Uh, this uh, first song is King of Kings by Caleb and Kelsey. Just while this is playing, we've got a question for you. Uh, perhaps text us in on zero four double eight double eight zero eight nine one. It's actually a bit of a difficult question, I think. But why do you think God uses symbols in Bible prophecy? We're going to. Uh, we've just actually mentioned a few of them there: the beast, Babylon, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, why do you think God uses symbols in Bible prophecy? Text us in your answer: zero four double eight double eight zero eight nine one. This is King of Kings.
darkness we were waiting without hope without light till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. You're listening to Tassie Encounters on Faith FM and this morning we're talking with Peter Watts on the topic of who is the Antichrist. And before we went to the break, we asked a question 
of you, so you can text us in 0488880891. Why do you think God uses symbols in Bible prophecy? And we were just talking about some of the uh, different words that uh, the Antichrist is uh, identified as in, in, the, in the Bible, things like the beast, Babylon, etc. But we're going to talk about some other symbols now, I believe, Peter. Sure. Yeah, so there's a, a power in Daniel chapter 7 called the little horn that we're going to eventually get to. But we want to start out at the beginning of uh, Daniel chapter 7. And uh, we have a prophecy here, and I'll get you to read verses 2 and 3 there, Dan- uh, Jason. Of Daniel 7, it says, Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. All right, so Daniel sees four great beasts coming out of the sea, and we want to understand what what does a beast represent in Bible prophecy, and we find that actually in the same chapter. So we have a symbol, a beast, um, and people, you know, get a little bit uh, spaced out by that, and, and they think, oh, you know, what's this monster or, or whatever mm. it is? But in actual fact, the Bible tells us what these symbols mean. So Daniel seven seventeen reads this way: Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. All right, and there's a verse in verse twenty three where it says, "Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth." kingdom on the earth so the point is that these four beasts that daniel sees are actually four kingdoms Mm. that arise out of the earth now we don't have a real hard time understanding this because we still represent kingdoms nations uh political powers with animals beasts Mm. um so for instance if i was to say to you this weekend the wallabies are playing the spring box who would the wallabies be I think they'd be Australia. So they would. And who would the Springboks be? Uh, that's something you're going to have to tell me. South Africa. <laughs> South Africa. So the Springboks are South Africa. And if you look on their jersey, they've got a little gazelle kind of creature, which is a Springbok. That's what it is, because I didn't know what a Springbok and was. I'm assuming they uh, a native um, yeah, animal in South that's Africa. That's right. Yeah. So you've got the Wallabies versus the Springboks. That's actually two animals. Mm. But we use those animals to represent those nations, mm. Australia versus South Africa. And so that's simply what God does here. And these four beasts have been identified as Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece and Rome. And these these identifications of these different uh, beasts have been um, well established for, you know, many hundreds of years. In fact, uh, it's interesting, 1997, the Rolling Stones, the, the rock group, the Rolling Stones, put out an album called Bridges to Babylon. And on the front cover of their album, they had a lion standing on two feet uh, with a Babylonian beard mm. and and that lion which was the first so these four beasts that Daniel talks about there were, there were four beasts and one was like a lion with wings one was like a bear one was like a leopard with four heads and one was like a terrible beast he just describes it as a terrible beast he doesn't he can't think of an animal that it looks like yeah. and so you've got these four beasts and they represent the kingdoms of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Now, if that sequence sounds familiar, it is because in Daniel chapter 2, where we've discussed this uh, prior, where, where there's, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of a statue mm. of the different metals, gold, silver, bronze, iron, and feet of iron and clay, those first four metals represent Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. So Daniel 7 is basically repeating the same history, but enlarging upon it, giving us different symbols. So you have these four 
empires. Babylon, where Daniel was actually living when he received this vision, by the way. Then you have the Medes and the Persians who overthrow the Babylonians and they become an empire. Then you have the Greeks under Alexander the Great who overthrow the Medes and the Persians and become an empire. And then you have the Romans who overthrow the Greeks and become an empire. Mm. And so these four empires are well established. And in fact, if you go to Nuremberg, Germany, you can find these four uh, empires represented over the doorways of the old courthouse there in Nuremberg, Germany. You know, you're sort of statues in stone, these symbols in stone, where you've got uh, these figures and their representative beasts right next to them. Mm. Uh, so this is not something that we're inventing here in the studio. This is something that has been well known for hundreds of years. Mm. Okay, so you've got that. And then what happens is you have... Um, I'm going to read... Verse well, you can read verse twenty four there. Yeah, Daniel seven twenty four says, "Yeah, the ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom." All right, let me let me point out that um, in verse twenty three it talks about the fact that, uh, sorry, in verse um, I think it's verse seven, it talks about the fact that this beast has ten horns. The fourth beast that represents Rome has ten horns, and of course we know from history that Rome was not conquered by one great empire or power, but rather it split up into these many different kingdoms in Europe that we know today. Um, And so it has these ten horns. And then it says something interesting in Daniel chapter 7, verse 8. It says, I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words or great words against God. So it, it goes on. This is verse um, Daniel seven twenty one, describing the actions of this little horn. There's most of the information in Daniel 7 from here on is about this little horn and its activity, mm. which is interesting because you've got Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and yet most of the focus and the information is about what this little horn does. Mm. So you'd think it must occupy a large period of time if, if it's got most of the attention drawn to it. But it says here in verse 21, Daniel seven twenty one, 21, uh, you can read this, Jason. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. All right. And it goes on, it says in verse 25, that he, the little horn, will speak pompous words against the Most High, that's against God, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. And it says the saints will be given into his hand for a time and times and a half a time. Now, there's lots of symbolic language in there, Mm. but there's also some specifics. And the question, of course, people want to ask is, who is this power? This power has been identified uh, by Christians as the Antichrist power. Okay, So who is this power representing? We want to go back about 700 years to the time of a man by the name of John Wycliffe. So let's find out whom uh, Christian scholars of the past have identified this Lord of Horn power as, this Antichrist power. Um, Who have they said? Wycliffe uh, was one of the people who translated the Bible into English. Yeah, he was the first. And if you go to the British Library today, you can see his handwritten translation of the Bible. Um, So we're very... um, indebted to Wycliffe for being the first to translate the Bible into English. Mm -hmm. 
and he saw problems in the church that he was a part of, and he declared that the Pope is Antichrist here on earth. Now, when I first heard this, I was shocked to hear that, and I was thinking, how could you possibly make that kind of identification? And we wanted to understand how did he arrive at that identification. At the time of John Wycliffe, there were actually two popes uh, vying for position. It's interesting, you know, right now today there are two popes, uh, Pope Francis uh, took over the papacy in 2013, but Pope Benedict is still alive, and uh, he he sort of stepped Step down, down. Yeah. which is unusual. And they said in the news that this was the first time in 600 years that that had happened. Mm. And we're going back to the time of John Wycliffe, and there were two popes. There was uh, Pope Urban the Sixth and Pope Clement the Seventh. So after a pope died, these two people were both promoted as popes in different regions and uh, both of them wanted the papacy. And John Wycliffe, in a tract which he published on the schism of the popes, Wycliffe called upon the people to consider whether these two priests were not speaking the truth in condemning each other as the Antichrist. In Mm -hmm. other words, these two popes that had arisen were calling each other the Antichrist. And so... um, one of the first people to identify the Pope as the Antichrist was the Pope. That's the point I'm, I'm making here. So when Wycliffe identifies as an Antichrist, what he's talking about is in the place of Christ. Mm. Wycliffe saw that the church was placing itself in the place of Christ. Um, that is to say that the church was saying, you need to come to the church to get forgiveness. You need to get forgiveness through a priest. You need to receive salvation through a priest. And without that, if you are not part of the established church, then you cannot be saved. And the Bible tells us that it is through Christ. There's no under, no other name under heaven by which we must be saved other than Jesus Christ. And so what Wycliffe was identifying was the church was pursuing a different course to that which he was able to read in scripture okay we're going to go to another break uh we uh before we do just the the book offer that we're going to give today is called the antichrist agenda we'll give you more information a bit later on but right now we're going to have a listen to is he worthy and i think it's it's relevant because we're talking about jesus christ is Mm. he worthy for our praise and honor Mm. and i believe he is so this is chris tomlin with is he worthy Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? 
listening to Faith FM and this is our series Searching for Certainty with Peter Watts on Tassie Encounters. Welcome back. Now we've just been talking about who is the Antichrist. That's the title of today's program and uh, just uh, recently we were mentioning John Wycliffe who identified the Antichrist and uh, he was a uh, Protestant, I guess, or a pre-Protestant reformer, was he? Because he was pre sometimes, he was pre-Luther. Yeah, well, this is very important to understand. Mm. So uh, John, John Wycliffe was a Roman Catholic, mm. right? Uh, and he, didn't, he never changed that. But he saw challenges within his church because he had access to the Bible, which we must remember most people did not. In fact, mm. it was illegal. We find it hard to imagine when we have Bibles on our phones and, you know, Bibles everywhere today that we have access to it. But back in those days, you didn't have access to the Bible. Few people could read. Mm. And those that could didn't have access to the Bible. You were not permitted to read the Bible unless you were trained because, mm. the, you know, the church didn't believe you had the intelligence to, to be able to interpret it. So Wycliffe basically was saying, I recognize that the papal system... I recognise that as Antichrist. That's how he identified it. Mm. Now, just as we're on the break, uh, Peter, Stephen texted in 
an answer to our question. He says, symbols are consistent throughout the Bible. It may be a universal way of talking. So thanks, Stephen, for your answer there. Um, yeah. We'll, Why God uses symbols. Yeah, thank you. Mm. Now we're going to get on and talk more about, uh, uh, I guess, what happened after the yeah. 14th century. So you, Yeah, that's right. So John Wycliffe is back in the 14th century, translates the Bible into English, for which we're all grateful. He was contemned by the church for... Uh, many of his views which he wrote down other reformers followed him so John Wycliffe is sometimes regarded as the morning star of the Reformation mm. then you come to the time of the 16th century and Martin Luther is really regarded as the beginnings of the Reformation proper mm. Martin Luther was a doctor in the Roman Catholic Church mm. and uh, again he had access to the Bible and what he read in the Bible didn't match was what he was seeing in the church. And he saw grave errors in the church. The church was effectively selling salvation. They were selling indulgences whereby you could pay for a certificate that would tell you that you would get time off in purgatory. Mm. Um, and so, and, and Luther saw this, this really tipped him over the edge and, and he wrote out 95 objections to his own church. And he nailed them on a church door. Mm. And uh, he was ultimately excommunicated for that. But it sparked the Reformation. And many other reformers came after him. Melanchthon and Calvin and Zwingli and uh, John Knox. But I want you to tell you what um, Luther had said during this period of time when the church was um, telling him to recant his, his ideas. He says, oh, how much pain it has caused me, though I had the scriptures on my side, that I should dare to make the stand alone against the Pope and hold him forth as Antichrist. And what they understood by that term was that he was the Pope was standing in the place of Christ. He mm. was claiming to be the one that could offer you salvation ultimately, rather than through Christ alone mm. and through Christ directly. John Knox, maybe people have... So Luther... Luther's followers began the Lutheran Church. So mm. if you've ever heard of the Lutheran Church, that's where it comes from. John Knox was another reformer. He was a student of Calvin. John Knox was responsible. His, his um, followers formed the Presbyterian Church. If anybody's ever heard of the Presbyterian Church, they were the followers of John Knox. And Knox wrote to abolish that tyranny which the Pope himself has for so many ages exercised over the church and that the Pope should be recognized as the very Antichrist, the son of perdition of whom Paul speaks. Mm. And again, I want to mention this because I said that, you know, John Wycliffe was a Roman Catholic. Martin Luther was a Roman Catholic. We are not talking about Roman Catholic people. Mm. What these men were understanding to be the Antichrist was the papal system. Mm. And that, and they'd recognized that they were living it. They lived through it, but they had access to the Bible, which most people didn't. Mm. And they were able to read the scriptures and read that we are justified by faith in Christ alone. And so uh, they they recognized that and they wanted reform of the church, and that's why it's called the Reformation. And so many reformers had this. Uh, many people may have heard of the new, uh, sorry, the King James Bible. We often quote from the New King James Bible, which is an updated version or a, uh, a modern translation. The King James Bible was translated in 1611. In the the preamble, it says, um, "Where shall I read it?" It says, "When they observe." 
the zeal that your majesty, talking about King James, your majesty towards the house of God doth not slack or go backwards, but is more and more kindled, manifesting itself abroad in the furthest parts of Christendom by writing in defense of the truth, which has given such a blow unto that man of sin as he as will not be healed. That that reference to the man of sin is reference to the papacy. Mm. And so that's in the uh, preamble to the 1611 um King James Bible. And another one, John Wesley. Maybe people have heard of John Wesley. His it, followers formed the Methodist Church. The Methodist yeah, Church. And uh, writing of this power, he says, this seems to mean the Romish Antichrist. So many reformers saw the papal system as the Antichrist power. And so uh, that's how they identified it. And um, this is a, uh, a statement from the Blessed Hope by uh, George Allen Ladd. Um, uh, George Ladd, he writes this book, um, The Blessed Hope, page 33. Why don't you read that, Jason? It says, Many of the great Christians of Reformation and post-Reformation times shared this view of prophetic truth and identified Antichrist with the Roman papacy. Among adherents of this interpretation were the Waldenses, the Hussites, Wycliffe, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, um, Melanchthon, Melanchthon <laughs> Tyndale, Latimer and Ridley. Yeah, so you have, um, in fact, uh, you know, Latimer uh, and Ridley, you can find a um, monument in Oxford today to the Martyrs Monument there. Um, so th- th- this is not new. You and I are talking about the subject of the Antichrist today. Mm. This is not new. This is hundreds of years old this interpretation this understanding but it seems new to perhaps our listeners today and certainly was very new to me i was startled Mm. uh shocked as i've talked earlier about this notion but when you start to look at some of the uh evidence you can understand why there's a passage in acts chapter 20 verse 29 to 30 where Paul is uh, speaking and he, he writes, uh, he, he's quoted as saying this. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. All right. So Paul is predicting here in the New Testament in the first century, he's predicting that after the apostles have faded away, that the church is going to start to change in its character. He's predicting this, he's prophesying that this would happen. And uh, this is indeed what we we find happen. Uh, There is compromise in the church, which leads to corruption, and the church becomes something other than that which it first set out to be. You know, I'm really grateful to God that we have a Bible, Mm. because in the Bible, God has provided for us an objective standard by which we can measure everything, by which we can measure experience, belief, and faith, so that we are not going to be, you know, tossed about by every wind of doctrine, but we actually have a, a an understanding of what Jesus taught, what the apostles taught, um, that we have that standard, no matter how many centuries pass, that we can go back to the teachings of Jesus. Peter, it's uh, time for another break, so we'll come back and uh, we'll finish this topic off. I know there's quite a bit to go, <laughs> but uh, before we go to the break, Just a bit of a description about our free book offer today, The Antichrist Agenda, Ten Commandments Twice Removed. This is by Danny Shelton. This compelling book will move you beyond prophetic theory and popular fiction, back to the Bible where all answers are provided. 
The authors present a careful study and faithful interpretation of prophecy that agrees with the early Christian church fathers. Drawing on the Bible only, they identify the Antichrist power and the agenda that has succeeded in pointing the finger of prophecy away from the real mark of the beast. So too is the the truth of Christ's second coming unveiled from Scripture in this little book. So we encourage you to get that. We'll give you the code right after the break. And this song is This My Anchor. This my anchor, firm, secure My soul is fastened, ever sure I have found in waters deep There's a hand that safely keeps We have this hope that ties the soul To the endless flowing well From the waters of His side There I find healing and there He has promised he will be A priest whose blood will cover me In his promise, strong and true There his covenant renew We have this hope that the soul to the endless flowing well from the waters of his side there I find healing and there I hide through the veil there is a See my Savior's wounded side There a high priest who will ever be Sacrificed for me This my anchor, firm, secure My soul is fastened Ever sure I have found in the waters deep There's a hand that safely keeps There's a hand that safely
This program is made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. You're listening to Tassie Encounters on Faith FM, and we're coming to our home stretch now with Peter Watts on the topic of who is the Antichrist. But before the break, we did promise the code for our free giveaway book today, The Antichrist Agenda by Danny Shelton. And that code is the word search and the number 22. Search 22, no spaces. Text that in to 0488880891. Search 22, no spaces, to 0488880891. And we can get that book sent out to you shortly. Now, Peter... We uh, we need to summarise. We ha- I know we haven't covered everything in here, and there's sure. so much to it. But yeah. uh, we need to summarise, I guess, uh, some of what we've been talking about sure. today. Yeah. So we're going to actually look at. Um, I would encourage people um, to turn to Daniel chapter seven and have a read of that. Uh, maybe after this program is over. Um, but in Daniel chapter seven, there are actually. 10 identifying characteristics of this little horn power. And um, we're going to cover them right now, but um, not in huge detail. What you're going to share a little later is a link where people can actually watch a video about this uh, that I've done as well on YouTube. So um, they'll be able to see a little more detail there. But let's summarize this. So if we look at uh, Daniel chapter 7, in describing this little horn, there are actually 10 identifying characteristics, and we might simply go through those. So first of all, the Bible tells us in Daniel 7 that this little horn arose out of the fourth beast. Yeah. Now, this fourth beast has been identified as the Roman Empire. You know, you had the four powers, um, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, and this uh, fourth beast has been you know, regarded as the Roman Empire, does this little horn power, does the papacy arise out of the Roman Empire? Well, it did. <laughs> the heart of Rome, you couldn't get any closer than the heart mm. of Rome, which is the Rome, the city of Rome itself. Mm. So um, you've got, uh, yes, it does arise out of the fourth beast, the Roman Empire. Number two, uh, the second identifying characteristic, it has arose among the ten horns. That is to say that the ten horns, ar- horns arose out of the Roman Empire, the ten uh, kingdoms that arose after the fall of Rome. Did it arise among them? Yes, it did. It was in the midst of that European um, growth of those kingdoms. Number three, it arose after the ten horns. The fall of Rome was about 476 AD. You know, people say that Rome wasn't built in a day. and Rome didn't fall in a day either. But generally speaking, we put the fall of the Roman Empire at 476 AD. The Roman papacy really grows into power and strength in the middle of the 6th century. Um, so it does arrive after the Ten Horns in terms of its power and influence. The fourth identifying characteristic is it was different from the others. Okay, I can see a difference here. Okay. Uh, all of the others were national powers, but this Political one was a religious power. power. Correct. So this is, yes, but it's not only a religious power, it is also a political power. So it flexes yes. its muscles re- religiously mm. and politically, mm. and that's how it is different from the others. Um, the fifth identifying characteristic, the Bible says it was greater than the others. It says, uh, the little horn arose and it was greater than his fellows, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. You know, it's a little horn, so it's only a little kingdom, but it has much bigger influence. If you think of the Vatican today, incidentally, um, the Vatican is its own city-state. They have their own money, they have their own guard. Um, It's an independent state of Italy, 
but a very small one. Very, very small. I've been there. Mm. It's, it's it's a small state. However, it has global influence. Mm. I mean, you have uh, the Pope can address the United Nations and and so forth. So it it has greater influence than than the others. Um, number six, identifying characteristic. It says it uprooted three kings, and we could look at the history of that of those ten horns that arose out of the fall of the Roman Empire. You have uh, three of them were the Vandals, the Heruli, and the Ostrogoths, and these were all defeated uh, by the the Roman power, and so uh, that's how it uprooted three kings. Um, the seventh characteristic, it spoke great words against. Uh, the Most High. And um, we could probably have a look at that because there are some statements that the papal power has made that I think might surprise people. So Pope Leo XIII, um, in an encyclical letter on the 20th of June, 1894, uh, he actually says, we hold upon this earth the place of God Almighty. And I want you to think about that mm. because when we talk about Antichrist, we have noted that not only does it mean can it mean against Christ? But it can mean in the place of Christ. And here is the, the the Pope himself saying, we hold upon this earth the place of God Almighty. And that was the kind of thing that Protestants objected to. They said nobody can take the place of Christ. Um, nobody can take the place of God. And uh, the, the church had kind of inserted itself into that position. Another statement from uh, the Catholic National, July 1895, it says, The Pope is not only the representative of Jesus Christ, but he is Jesus Christ himself hidden under veil of flesh. Mm. Now that is seen by um, many Protestants as a blasphemous statement. It's, mm. um, you know, we, we just don't believe that that's the case. And so these are the kind of statements. So when it says he spoke great words against the Most High, these are the kind of statements that people had in mind. The eighth identifying characteristic persecuted the saints. It's estimated that the Church of Rome has killed between 50 to 150 million people through its history who simply did not believe what the Church told them they should believe. And so persecution has arisen. Uh, it also, cha- uh, uh, the ninth identifying characteristic is the changing of times and laws. Um, we've already learned that the the, um, the church changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday or attempted to do that. Um, and again, it's a matter of does the church have the right and Protestants don't feel they have that right and certainly we don't feel they have that right. And the final one is it rains for a time, times and a half a time, which is a cryptic way of saying three and a half years or uh, 1,260 literal days, and that in prophetic time represents 1,260 years. That's something that will need greater exposition, but maybe we could find that uh, at the video that you're going to suggest. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> so we're out of time, Peter, but um, I've got one question just before we uh, we wrap up. Well, we want to make sure we get to that video link as yes. well. Yes, yeah. Okay, well, I'll give that now. So if you text in search number 23, that's 04888880891, search 23, text that in. We will send you back a text message which has a link to a video presentation which covers this in much more detail than what we've been able to yeah. today. Yeah, so a question, question that I have just quickly as, sure. we, as we go out. Um, many people might think that the rise of Islam could be, you know, the Antichrist power that mm-hmm. uh, the Bible talks about. 
what, what's uh, what's one thing to what would our response be that, to yeah. that yeah for sure well I, I guess I would take you back to one of the first verses that we spoke about which is first John 2:18 this morning um, little children is the last hour and as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming even now many Antichrists have come so we mentioned before that anyone who is against Christ or anyone who stands in the place of Christ is an Antichrist by definition okay and so I think any religious system, whatever it may be, or any philosophy that attempts to rob Christ of his um, position, of his identity, and of his um, role as our saviour, mm. anything that robs him of that is an antichrist, mm. uh, simply by definition. So um, we sometimes will look at the news or we'll look at the world around us and say, where is this in prophecy? You know, you might say, where's Britney Spears in prophecy or where's a Tasmania in prophecy? Well, it's not there, but to me, it's the, the wrong way around. We look at prophecy and we say, okay, what does God say and where can we see that revealed in history rather than the other way around? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, thank you, Peter. Fascinating topic. And we do encourage you to text in search 23 to 0488880891 or search 22 to get the free book offer for today. Next week, you're going to be talking about the temple and Jerusalem. That's correct. Yes. So we're going to, again, there's a lot of speculation in Christian circles about uh, the temple mount in Jerusalem. And we want to see what the Bible has to say about that. What is the temple really all about? And we're going to find out that next week. And tomorrow we've got David Maxwell talking about the bread from heaven. So we do hope you can join us next week and also tomorrow. This song as we go out is This Is My Father's World by Chris Rice. This is my father's world. And to my listening ears All nature sings and around me rings The music of the spheres This is my Father's world I rest me in the thought Of rocks and trees, of skies and seas his hand the wonders wrought. This is my father's world. The birds their carols raise. The morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my Father's world He shines in all that's fair In the rustling grass I can hear Him pass He speaks to me everywhere This is my Father's world Oh, let me ne'er forget That though the wrong seems oft so strong God is the ruler yet This is my Father's world The battle is not done Jesus who died will be satisfied and heaven be one.
Satisfied, and earth and heaven 